it on a test? Oh, perfect. <laughs> Happy Labor Day weekend, everybody. Um, you know, just like Julie mentioned earlier, some of us are working more than we have ever before, and then others are working less than they ever have before. So whatever the situation, I just pray that this weekend is a, a time of rest and restoration for all of us, working or not working. Um, you know, the Bible says in Colossians 3, chap, um, chapter 3, verse 23 and 24, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You're serving the Lord Christ. And if we are working for the Lord, then we should always be working for the Lord, whether that's in a workplace or in our home or in our neighborhood. So um, we need to always be thinking, what are we doing? Is it, are we about our father's business, right? So um, we need to be doing the work of the Lord, especially now during this crazy time in our, our nation's history and in our world's history. Um, we're facing things we've never faced before, so much violence in our country and so much political unrest and, and so much fear, you know, um, and I'm not a proponent for fear. I, I don't believe in being fearful, but I understand people being concerned, you know, about the situation that's going on. We serve a God that's bigger than COVID. Bottom line, he is bigger than cancer. He's bigger than depression, and he's certainly bigger than fear. So we always need to be asking him, Father, what is it you want us to be doing during this time? In Luke um, 2.49, or in the chapter 2 of Luke, Jesus was um, a young boy, and he was, you know, in the city with his mom and dad, and he got separated from them, and they were looking for him, and, and he told them, why do you seek me? Do you not know that I must be about my father's business? And that's how we need to be, whether we're in our office or not. We need to be about our father's business. Um, one of the things is, is the perception that most people have is he's just a child. So what is he doing away from his parents in, in, in the town, in the city? And, um, you know, we have to get away from our earthly perception. We are citizens of heaven. We come from heaven. And so our perception needs to be one of the heavenly realm. We need to see things how God sees them rather than how we see them on earth. So we have this dichotomy of, well, I, I am here on earth and I see things as they are, but I need to be seeing things, seeing things from a godly perspective. So I want to challenge you to think of it this way. When we go to a costume party and someone dresses up as Cleopatra, we don't really believe that that's Cleopatra, right? At Halloween, when a child is dressed as a ghost and they come to our door, we don't really believe that there's a ghost at our door asking for candy. We see the reality that it's a child just in a costume. We see the reality that Cleopatra was a lady who lived a long time ago, and this is just a woman dressed as her, right? And we need to look at things with that same perspective. Jesus showed us that in Matthew chapter 5. He had gone back across the other side of the lake, and there at the lakeside, a, 
a large crowd gathered around him. And Jairus, an official of the local synagogue, arrived. And when he saw Jesus, he threw himself down at his feet and begged him earnestly, My little daughter is very sick. Please come and place your hands on her so that she will get well and live. And so Jesus agreed, and a mob of people followed him. And along the way, we know the story of the lady who had suffered the hemorrhage for many years and reached out and touched him. And, you know, um, he ministered to her and then went about his way to Jairus' house. And the whole time, I'm sure Jairus, as a parent, was thinking, come on, come on, please just come on. My daughter needs you now. So in, um, later on in that same chapter, in verse 35 through 42, he says, Some messengers came from Jairus' house and told him, Your daughter has died. Why bother the teacher any longer? But Jesus paid no attention to what they said, but told them, Don't be afraid, only believe. Then he did not let anyone else go on with him except Peter and James and his brother John. They arrived at Jairus' house, where Jesus saw the confusion and heard all the loud crying and wailing. He went in and said to them, why all this confusion? Why are you crying? The child is not dead. She's only sleeping. And again, that's that heavenly perception, right? Our God is life. Where he is, is life. He was in the house of Jairus with this girl, so she would be living. So he said, they started making fun of him. So he put them all out took the child's father and mother and his three disciples and went into the room where the child was lying. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, I tell you, get up. She got up at once and started walking around. She was 12 years old. When this happened, they were completely amazed. But Jesus gave them strict orders not to tell anyone, and he said, just give her something to eat. <laughs> that is a heavenly perception perception, right? That perspective. So regardless of COVID, regardless of political unrest, we need to rest assured God is in control. President Trump's not in control. Putin is not in control. CNN and Fox News are not in control. Polls are not in control. Jehovah God is in control. Regardless of your situation, regardless of my situation, whether it's financial or physical or just living in fear, we don't have to be in control. We need to rest assured he is in control. And I'm just like you and everybody else. I have insecurities. I have things that I worry about. I have things that I think about. And, you know, I, I'm a bit of a control freak. I like to be in control. I have a, a little bit of OCD where things have to go a certain way and things have to be done a certain way or they're wrong. <laughs> and so when things don't go exactly how I want them to go, I feel a bit of chaos in my life. But I have to remind myself, doesn't matter. My father's in control. I remember when I was living overseas in Korea and I was teaching English and some things had gone down and I had to get out of the country and, you know, my passport um, or my visa had expired and I wasn't told by the government. So when I went to the 
embassy. I was told they could arrest me if I didn't pay this fine. So I paid the fine. Then when I went to the airport to leave, they said it hadn't been paid. So I had to pay it again. It was just, it was a big mess. And so again, a control freak, I'm, I'm going berserk because I'm out of my country. I don't know the laws. I'm, I'm freaking out a little bit. So what do I do? I call my daddy. You know, daddy, I need you to fix it. And he said, you've called the wrong father. That's wisdom. I'm so thankful I have a wise dad. He he said, I can't help you. I'm not there. And even if I could get there, it would take a week by the time you get the ticket and then the layovers and the time change. He was just, he said, I can't help you. You've got to call your father God. And so, of course, Dad, let's pray. Let's pray together, you know. So that, again, was me having to relinquish that control and seeing things from a different perspective. My father, my earthly father, had a different perspective, right? And he had to remind me, your father, God, is the one in control. I can't do anything about it. In um, in John 14, 12, Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do and greater works than these will he do because I am going to the father. So what I learned when I was, you know, kind of studying about this is that we're not in control. God's in control. Jesus did all these great things, but he has greater things for us to do. I can't fathom doing anything greater than what Jesus did when he was on earth. Can you? But he told us that. Has Jesus ever lied? I think not. But he's telling us right here. You will do the works that I do and greater works than these will he do. God has amazing things for us in in store for us. And if there's ever a time for him to reveal himself, I believe it's now. We need to be ready and we need to be obedient when he asks us to do something. Because he's got great things for us. And according to him, greater things than he did. So that means we we may not even be aware of the power that he's given us. I hope not. I hope I'm not aware. I would love just to walk out somewhere and God say, you're going to do this. And I say, okay. And then it, a Mount, you know, Mount Rushmore moves to a different state. <laughs> you know what I mean? Or the Rocky Mountains shift over down into, you know, Louisiana. I mean, that would be a pretty great thing, you know, to demonstrate God's power. In 1 Corinthians 2, um, verse 9 and 10, it says, But it is written, What no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through his Spirit, for the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. You know, we've been taught from Lowell um, over the past you know, a few weeks about the kingdom of heaven. 
and him saying that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And he used the illustration of a train arriving at a train station. When we're on the platform waiting for the train and it's entering the station, we say the train is here. Even though the train hasn't stopped and we haven't gotten on it, the train is here. And he used that analogy to say that's like the kingdom of heaven. We can have glimpses of the kingdom of heaven while we're here on earth. And if we're really walking in the spirit, those glimpses will become longer and, and more apparent to us. So um, we see the kingdom of heaven and what it looks like in those glimpses. And then in Revelation chapter 21, verse 3 and 5, it says, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. That means the kingdom of heaven is now. It is here. And he will dwell with them. That means God being with us. And they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the former things have passed away. And the one seated on the throne said, behold, I make all things new. So there's no crying in heaven. You've seen that movie, um, A League of Their Own. There's no crying in baseball, right? There's no crying in heaven. There's no sadness in heaven. There's no mourning in heaven. There's no pain. And if we are living in the kingdom of heaven, then we have that heavenly perspective. We can rise above the pain. We can rise above the mourning. Yes, it's sad, and we're not to be robots. But even through the sadness and through the pain, we can experience heaven. Does that make sense? One of my favorite stories from the Bible is um, in Joshua 6, and it's the story of the Israelites when they approached the city of Jericho and God had told them he was going to give them the city. So in Joshua 6, verse 1 through 5, it says, Now Jericho was shut up inside and outside because of the people of Israel. None went out and none came in. And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand with its king and mighty men of valor. You shall march around the city, all the men of war going around the city once. Thus you will do for six days. Seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. On the seventh day, you shall march around the city seven times, and the priests shall blow the trumpets. And when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, and when you hear the sound of the trumpet, then all the people shall shout with a great shout, and the wall of the city will fall down flat. And the people shall go up, everyone straight before him. So when I was studying about Jericho, I learned that the city was built on an embankment like this. And at the bottom of the hill was one wall. And then there was another wall at the top of the hill just for extra fortification. The lower wall was a stone retaining wall and it was 12 to 15 feet in height. On top of that was mud brick that was um, six feet thick and then 20 to 26 feet tall. That's the lower wall. Then the upper wall was similar. It had a mud, a mud brick wall base and it stood 46 feet above the ground. 
So if the Israelites were walking around the city and they're looking up a hill, you know, if you've ever walked around the base of a mountain or even a large hill, it looks insurmountable, right? Imagine then a huge wall and above that you see more mountain and then a bigger wall even on top of that. And then the absurdity of God telling you to march around a city. I mean, that'd be like marching around Shreveport. I'm going to march around Shreveport, then I'm going to fight. Are you kidding? I'm tired and I need some water. You know what I mean? So he told them, march around the city one time for six days. And then on the seventh day, march around seven times. And then blow the trumpet and shout. So on... They did what they were told to do. So on the seventh day, verse 15 and 16, they rose early at the dawn of day and marched around the city in the same manner seven times. It was only on that day that they marched around the city seven times. And at the seventh time, when the priests had blown the trumpets, Joshua said to the people, shout, for the Lord has given you the city. So verse 20 says, so the people shouted and the trumpets were blown. As soon as the people heard the sound of the trumpet, the people shouted a great shout, and the wall fell down flat, so that the people went up into the city, every man straight before him, and they captured the city. So the scripture says the wall fell flat. In Hebrew, that means the wall fell beneath itself. So how could this happen? Well, archaeologists said that it was probably an earthquake that caused the walls to fall. So with excavations that they've done on the city of Jericho, archaeologists said that the lower wall fell this way because the scripture says the men ran up the wall in to get into the city. So an earthquake, the upper wall collapsed. So all of us, most of us have studied that an earthquake is caused by the shifting of plate tectonics on the, on the, under the earth's crust, right? And that there's rock and, and it suddenly breaks along the fault line. For an earthquake to happen, it takes years and years of shifting. It's not something that just happens like that. Oh, we're having an earthquake. There is years and years of those plates shifting against one another. So for this to happen at the exact moment that the Israelites yelled and sounded their trumpets, that means that God had been at work for years before the Israelites even encountered the city of Jericho, probably before the city of Jericho was even built. So I want us to think about our circumstances in our lives. And when we face something that we feel is insurmountable, God's already been at work in your life, in that situation. But sometimes I think we need, to, we need to get a little more shout in our camp. We need to shout at that situation. You know, we've heard God is omnipotent. He's everywhere. He knows our thoughts. He knows us better than we do. Let me tell you something. The enemy does not. He does not know your thoughts. He can try to plant thoughts in your mind to cause fear or doubt or anxiety, but he doesn't know what you're thinking. But what happens is we take that thought and we dwell on it 
and then we begin to think it ourselves. But what would happen to the enemy's camp if he tried to plant a thought in our head and we started shouting, thank you, God, you're bigger than that. Think of the confusion it would cause him. Imagine, imagine if you've been diagnosed with COVID or cancer or you're battling depression or your checkbook says there's not enough in there to cover the mortgage or the rent. If you started shouting praise to God, it's a powerful weapon. Throughout the Bible, we see God telling his people, shout praise, blow the trumpet, dance before me. And what happens? They get their victory. We need more shout in our camp. We've been battered and bruised long enough. I had a coach one time tell me after I had been, you know, struggling and struggling to overcome, you know, learning this new skill and, and everything. And he told me, he said, you know what? I'm going to give you five minutes. I'm going to give you five minutes to dwell on that defeat and dwell on the struggle you're having. And after that, you're done. Get up and do it again and do it right. And after about three and a half minutes, I got up and got over my pity party. And I learned to do the new skill. Are you with me? We need to stop playing the part of the victim. And we need to play the part of the champion. He hadn't called us to be victims. He's called us to be victorious. Are you here? Can you hear what I'm saying? He's bigger than that. He's bigger than that. You guys, whenever this COVID thing first happened and, you know, we were sent home from work and told we're going to be working from home and all these things, we didn't know what was going on and we didn't know how long it was going to last or, you know, I was overwhelmed and bombarded with bad news. Didn't matter what channel I turned the TV on, it was, oh, COVID numbers are up. Oh, the economy's down. You know, it was bad news over and over and over again. And I kind of just got inside my head with all of that going on. And of course, I know better than God. So I'm telling him, God, you need to do something. I mean, come on. You know, this thing isn't going to take care of itself. If I was you, this is what I would do. And I really just got quieted by the Holy Spirit. And I wrote this down because the Holy Spirit said this to me. You know, it was, it was a beautiful day outside. And it was one of those things where you look outside and the, it's a beautiful day. And I was like, how can so much craziness be going on and it's such a beautiful day? Doesn't make sense. You know, I mean, in cartoons, when bad things happen, it's a thunderstorm and, you know, lightning is happening and winds blowing. So what the heck, God? Doesn't make sense. It doesn't add up. And the Holy Spirit spoke to me and he said, 
If I made this beautiful day with the trees and the grass growing, animals flourishing, gentle breezes blowing, and clouds floating by, what makes you think I don't know how to take care of you? I am still in control. I haven't taken my eyes off of you for one second. Trust me, my child. So I turned the news off, and I haven't turned it back on since. And some people might call that being naive or, you know, being ridiculous. I don't because I know what the Bible says. I know what my father says. And he's not a liar. And he keeps his promises. CNN and Fox or whoever else, they may get some facts wrong. My God never gets the facts wrong. Not in my life and not in your life. And I want you to know, I'm standing with you. I will face your fear with a shout of triumph. I will face your discouragement with you with a shout of triumph. I will face your foreseen failures, as some people might call them, with a shout of triumph. God has greater things for you and me. I believe that. So the scripture, Lamentations 3, 22 through 23, says, The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. And I remember growing up in, in the Baptist church, I was told that, you know, his um, mercies are new every morning. It meant Regardless of how bad I sinned the day before, God gave me another chance that next day. And while I agree with that, or how many, however bad I messed up, there's always another day tomorrow. But I also think that it means we have new hope for tomorrow. We have new hope for even today. God doesn't change with the setting of the sun and the rising of the moon. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So regardless of our circumstance, he is still in control. And he is moving and working on our behalf. We have to believe that. And if you don't have it in you to believe it, get with somebody who does. Get with somebody who does. I was emailed by a coworker the other day and in her email, um, she worked in a different department than I did, and she was just kind of complaining about, about some things. And when I would respond, it was, oh, but this is so good that we can do this. And she would write back, yeah, you're right, but blah, 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 and on and And I would respond, yes, but we can do this. And I, I felt the Holy Spirit stir in me, you know, how we fight doubt is with faith. You know, last week, Julie spoke about, you know, fighting our battles with love. And when people come at us, we just respond in love. It's the same when we have a, a friend or a family or a colleague or anybody fighting a spiritual battle. We respond in faith. Because even though my faith isn't perfect and your faith may not be perfect, he is always faithful Great is his faithfulness. It never fails. 
He has, we may be disappointed sometimes with how the circumstances are working out and think we should do it this way or it would be better this way, but he knows best. He's faithful and he's never failed us. We may feel like he may have failed us because that we didn't have the, the general outcome that we thought, but he is always faithful. Great is his faithfulness. So, you know, there are songs that sometimes say what we can say or that they say what we want to say better than we can say it. So I want to share a song with you about his faithfulness right now.
We can never forget his faithfulness. Never. Can we just wait on the Holy Spirit for a minute? I feel his anointing here. Let's just worship him for a second. This young man right here. God has his hand on you. You have a special purpose. A special calling. And he's raising you up for a time at such a time as this. Can we, everybody stretch your hand toward him? Father, I lift my little brother up to you, Lord God, and I just thank you, Father, for the calling you have on his life. God, that now you would just root him in truth, Father God, that he would only speak truth when people come at him with doubt, that he would just be so fortified with your word that that would be the only thing coming out of his mouth. I just thank you, Father, that you're going to use him in a way that he can't even imagine. Just give you glory for it, Lord, in Jesus' name. Thank you, Father. I want to pray for you guys. I, I feel like sometimes, like we were talking about earlier about the, um, the, the perception with the costume, and I feel that sometimes people look at you guys and and there's this exterior of everything is fine everything is fine everything is great but then behind closed doors you're crying out to God and you're like okay God we need something we need we need more of you we need strength we need guidance we need um to not feel discouraged and so I want to pray for you that um that realization comes that you will be that strong family unit 
that God has called you to be, that there will be no cracks that the enemy can slip into. Does that make sense to you? Father, I pray for my brother and sister, Lord, and I just thank you, Lord God, that you planted them on a foundation, Lord God, and that they can be a mirror of all the things that you have for other families, Lord God, that they may look perfect on the outside, but but you see, God, their vulnerabilities, Lord God, and that you're meeting them where they are, Father God, and that it's in that moment of weakness that you truly become strong in their marriage and in their home, Father God. And I thank you, Lord God, that that is a testimony to people that come in contact with them. I give you the praise, Lord God, in Jesus' name. Um, I'm going to go ahead and close us with prayer, and um, then we can be dismissed as the, the band plays our walk out. <laughs>